grateful for being able to worship with you this morning in thankfulness. And that certainly is an encouragement to, to be with you and to hear how God has worked in your lives this year. Um, and it is a rare thing in our world and in a world in the earth that is captured by sin and discontentment and in a world that is increasingly discontent uh, to hear testimonies of God's faithfulness and of thankfulness to God. So uh, as we get going, uh, if you would turn to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to review and cover a good portion of chapter 3, but really uh, the focus this week is on verse 17. So it's really finishing out this section that we've been in for a number of months. So uh, let me pray for us as we get going. Father, I thank you for what you have done in our lives. You have transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. You have made us your own. You have brought us from a point of putting off the old self and putting on the new self and that we might have peace that can only come through you. As we dwell richly in your word together. Lord, help us. We cannot do this on our own. We need you. So Lord, help us to cultivate a life of dependence upon you and a response of gratitude in our hearts to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So truly, we do live in an age of discontentment. And I'm grateful for all the testimonies that we just heard. But uh, if we get real for a minute, the world around us is increasingly discontent. And I, I think when I first think about that topic, what I, what I think of is things like consumerism and you know, that's kind of the traditional topic that you might hear people talk about, especially this time of year, entering the holidays. Uh, and certainly that is a factor out there, but that's not even what I'm thinking of. Uh, for one thing, uh, people feel more disconnected than they did in the past. They, uh, you know, the technology that was supposed to connect us to one another, help us to talk to one another, actually has ended up separating us from one another. And uh, there's, you know, people talking about this now. You can read, there's books on it, and uh, people are looking into why uh, suicide rates are increasing, for example, because people feel more disconnected and isolated. Uh, in fact, Americans now feel that the future will be worse for their children than it was for them. And that's kind of, uh, you know, counter to what we think of as the American ideal, right? That uh, we're always hoping that the next generation will be better off than we were. Uh, and there's more disunity in our country than in the past. And uh, some have tried to search for hope in other things, you know, some novel philosophies. And you see this kind of disconnect between different groups as people disagree with one another. And social media has made this worse as we kind of group together into smaller groups of like-minded individuals, and it ends up pitting us against one another. And then now COVID fatigue is sinking in, right? And 
uh, you know, we truly do live in an age of discontent. And uh, people have come to even expect it these days. Uh, there's even, you know, jokes and memes about it, right, Karen? Right? Yeah. Um, but contentment in Christ runs counter to what the world expects, what our friends and neighbors might expect. And, and, and part of that sense of contentment comes down to what we're feeding our hearts. Right? So what are you feeding your heart this morning? What are you feeding your mind? Right? What does the idols of your heart want? Right? Colossians 3 speaks to this topic of gratitude. And so, beloved, hear the word of God from chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which Indeed, you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it just happened that we'd come to this point in Colossians 3, where there's these three admonitions, and he concludes each one with a call to thankfulness. And so uh, it's just a a timely time to approach this passage. And Christians have a joy that doesn't make sense to the world, right? There's a peace from Christ that brings humility, contentment, gratitude, and thankfulness. And there's new life in Christ that makes us live for him in all that we say and do. And that's really what chapter 3 is getting at, right? Fleshing out what new life looks like for the Christian. 
blood. May that joy and gratitude and thankfulness be yours this morning. So here's a quick reminder of where we've been. Right? The, the peace of Christ ruling our hearts and the word of Christ dwelling richly in us are a part of a Christ-centered life. Right? We should be relating to one another under the peace of Christ and with the message of Christ dwelling richly in us as we grow to be more like Christ, these admonitions become real in our lives. And we spur one another on through teaching and admonishing and singing all according to the wisdom that is found in Christ. And so union with Christ produces changed lives that are lived for him and which respond in gratitude to God for what he has done among us. And so for hearts that have been united with Christ, a changed heart has changed desires that pour forth in a community devoted to Christ and building one another up in faith. Let's look at verses 15 through 17 again. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So our union with Christ, that's back in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Our union with Christ is reflected in what we believe, our words, and what we do, our deeds. And Christ is the basis for how we're to evaluate our life in general and our own lives specifically. And there's been this progression as we read through chapter 3, a a subtext of unity bound by our union with Christ and founded in the gospel. So there's this progression in thought. New life in Christ, put off the old and put on the new. Shaped by the gospel, the message of Christ dwelling in us. We're transformed to do all in the name of Christ. We relate in the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. And then this is applied to all of life. Paul does not spend time specifying the details of what we can and cannot do here. Instead, he points us toward the center of where we need to be as Christians. We're to honor Christ in all of life. And so the Christ-centered life, which was the title for, for this whole section can be concluded here. It's all in the name of Christ. So we honor Christ in our words. And we honor Christ in our deeds. And we respond with thankfulness. And all those are found in verse 17. Okay. So we honor Christ with our words. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So verses 15, 16, and 17 go together. We talked about that last time. Right? They're, they're commands. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Right? The, the name of Jesus is the name that unites believers, all in the name of Christ. And if verse 16 is addressing teaching and singing as aspects of Christian worship, then verse 17 is generalizing those principles to all of life and all that we say or do. 
And so verse 17 is using this subjunctive, okay, big word, right? It's broadening the application. It's applying it more generally. Say, so whatever it is that you do, do all in the name of Jesus. And so Paul has given some cr- concrete examples leading up to this in the sense of love binding together towards completion in verse 14, or the peace of Christ ruling our hearts in verse 15, and the word of Christ dwelling richly in us in verse 16. And now in verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the message of Christ reaching the heart by the work of the Spirit bears fruit in lives. This is rubber meets the road Christianity here. If the central theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ in all things, in all the world, over all rulers and authority, then this passage, Christ is declared to be supreme over our lives, specifically. So in that context, what does it mean to honor Christ with our words? Right? Our words connect with what we believe, what we understand to be true. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Our words are just a symptom of what lies beneath, where our idols are. Right? So let's go back and look at verses 1 through 4, chapter 3, where it talks about your union with Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so we experience fellowship with Christ as a part of our union with him, where we rely more and more on Christ's work each day, and we can experience the sweetness of our times of prayer, our fellowship with one another, and our relationship with Christ. And the Christ-centered life is focused on putting off this old self, putting on the new self, encouraging one another, living in love toward one another. Really, this is about living with intentionality. But where does the ability to live this way come from? Right, just by knowing the rules, right, the fences and the boundaries of life, right, the fences and the boundaries are not going to get you there. Right, this pours forth from a changed heart. That's why Paul talks about put off and put on in this section. And so in whatever you do, if the word of God shapes you, if you're ruled by the peace of Christ, it will affect all that you do. Our worship affects all of life. It flows into all that we are. And so who we worship exerts an influence on our ethics, our time, our values, such that whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's no wonder that Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above here in verses 1 through 4. Right? Set your minds on things above. We're, we're shaped by what we set our mind upon. And this is more than avoiding sin. It's to see our lives in light of God's kingdom. 
and then to live in light of that reality. So it's not to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Rather, it's to be so radically focused upon him that it affects whatever we do and say. Paul lays this out for us, right? There's principles here that we then apply. There's a discipline to how we control our thoughts and minds. And you may have heard people say, how's your thought life? Maybe in reference to something like lust. That's certainly something we should be cognitive of. But it's more than that. We like to tell ourselves stories that make us the hero at the expense of others and at the expense of God who's the true hero. And this is pride in our lives. So brothers and sisters, set your minds on things above. Right? What dominates your thoughts will dominate you. So is Christ the true hero of your life? Or does an idol dominate you? We also have this admonition to let the word of God dwell richly in us. So we should be animated by our union with Christ and how we set our minds on things above and by the word of God dwelling richly in us. And believing the word of Christ is more than an outline. We believe that the word of God is authoritative, and that's good. That's important. But we want to go beyond just thinking of it as authoritative. To to really believe it's authoritative means that it's the story that animates and frames your life. Our deeds come out of what we truly believe. And so, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul makes some specific applications to life in verses 15 and 16. Uh, They're still fairly general, but then he bronzes them further into whatever you do. All that we know, all that we believe, all that we speak are words, all that we do or act upon are deeds. This is a natural uh, conclusion from verse 16. The word should dwell richly in us. And so... It should dwell abundantly, overflowing, deeply impacting. How will that not affect your words and deeds? The word of Christ dwelling richly in us changes everything. And so we honor Christ with our deeds. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This this is about the supremacy of Christ over all of life. Remember this admonition is set in the context of Christ being the center of our lives. Everything that is done in this section is done in the name of Christ. This should define what defines us. The, The supremacy of Christ in all things, our union with Christ, our setting our minds on things above, these are all aspects of new life. They're applied to all of life. Right? New life is just that, a new life. So every aspect of our life should be governed by who we are in Christ. And really, this is the full expression of our union with Christ. So whatever you do, do in the name of Jesus. This reminds us of our calling to be his representatives. 
And it's really about who we are in Christ. Our words and our actions should flow from who we are. Right? We are a new people. United with Christ. Living with the same purpose, animated by the gospel and the desire to see his kingdom established. So is what you do done in the name of Christ? All that we do. All that we do emphasizes this specific calling to live in a new way. And our efforts and resources are given to him. And so there's this connection between who you are and what you do. Um, We're transformed to be something. So what are we transformed to be? We're transformed to do what is right, to sin no more. I mean, certainly those are parts of transformation. Those are results of transformation. And they'll go along with new life. But at the center of it all is that your life is hidden with Christ. Right? So sometimes you will run into people who try to divorce who they are from what they do. Have you ever run into that? The truth is that we tend to live out what we really believe. What we really want to be true. And so we should first truly believe what is right. And then we should live in accordance with what we believe. So what does Paul say? If you go back to the beginning of Colossians, he says, you have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's telling us who you are. Right? Christians obey Christ because they are a new people. A Christ is now our life and joy. And so we grow to be the kind of person who obeys from the heart. Paul talks about that in Romans 6. Having experienced new life, we do because we've been united with Christ. So again, consider the teaching and worship of the church, verses 15 and 16. Uh, what we believe and teach among ourselves and how we practice our fellowship together should impact our individual lives. And the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working within us flows into all that we do, all that we believe and say, our actions. And so how do we apply this in our life? Right? Some people emphasize the rules, as themselves being important. Um, Christian ethics is about honoring him, but it's not simply adherence to the rules. Right? The, the standards are very important and reflect where our heart lies. But, and I'm sure you've seen legalistic approaches to, to following Christ where people don't follow from the heart. Christ wants us to follow him from the heart. And that's exactly what John is emphasizing in his gospel when he talks about new life. So some people will just say, just give me the rules. Show me the boundary. What am I supposed to do? But how close can I get to the edge? Show the conditions for what is sin. Let's... Let's detail it out. But here, Paul points us to the center of where we need to be. That is in the name of Christ. And so, others may emphasize results. Right? Christian ethics is about honoring him in how we act, but it's not just about results. The the modern conception of ethics is all about results. 
It's all about, does it work? What does an action accomplish? And that has crept into the church from time to time. But God is at work changing who we are as people. And so there is a third way. Living out new life in Christ. That's about who we are as new people. So it connects with our person. Be the kind of person who follows Christ in whatever you do. And so the idea of put off and put on from earlier in chapter 3 intersects with our moral character. That's clear because there's all these lists of things. Don't do, do this and don't do that, right? But this is a result of new life. And, and notice that Paul gives some general guidelines for applying it as he progresses in chapter 3. How we're to relate to one another. He doesn't necessarily give detailed stipulations. He doesn't define the boundaries. Instead, he points us towards the center of where we need to be. Rather than than defining the the boundary, he defines a way of life. And I'm not negating the boundaries here, so, so don't get me wrong. I'm just pointing out that Christ is the center. And that's what Paul is pointing out for us. So be the kind of person who at the end of the day can reflect on on your life, on your work, on your interactions, and it be in the name of Christ. So ask yourself, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus? That's focusing on the center. So if you ask yourself, am I allowed to do this? Right, That's more of a focus on boundaries. And there may be valid boundary questions that come up. So that's okay. We, we can ask those questions. But if we're camped out there all the time, then maybe that's not healthy for us. Right? People bend the rules to get what they really want. And they find ways to justify it. But as a gut check, ask yourself, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus? And that's ground zero. So instead, we should seek to be transformed into a new kind of person. So what do you saturate your mind with? We pursue the things that we really want. That's a way to see into our hearts, to see into our idols. So do you know what it looks like to grow to a mature faith? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in both word and deed, in teaching and admonishing and singing, the message of Christ dwelling in our hearts, is where knowledge meets wisdom. And according to Colossians, it also meets with singing and devotion. It's where our personal faith connects with the body of Christ in unity. It's where we reflect on what Christ has done and respond with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So, again, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we respond in thankfulness. Paul encourages the Colossians to be thankful seven times in the book. Three times in this short passage. There's a rhythm here. We receive a command or an admonition And then there's a response of thankfulness. 
Right? We receive from Christ something that impacts our lives, and then we respond with gratitude in our hearts to God. And this rhythm is a rhythm of worship. So, repeating myself, but let's read through Colossians 3, 15 through 17 again. Let's see this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So though giving thanks is due to God from all people, we as Christians in particular are exhorted to give God thanks. It's expected not as a tribute, not as outward conformance to expectation, but as an expression of gratitude for what he has done. It's more than duty. It's connected with contentment that we have in Christ. So, we know where we stood before and we know where we stand now in Christ. And we're thankful. And so our gratitude towards God reflects what he has done. Let's go back to chapter 1 in verse 11 through 14. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we find our strength and power in Christ and we are thankful. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and we now have an inheritance as a part of his kingdom. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So as we are changed, as we are built up and called to walk with him, then we should be abounding in thanksgiving toward him. Now there's this parallel passage over in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Let's let's read 20 and 21 here. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's talk about thankfulness. Having looked at this quickly, a little survey. Thankfulness is worship. And here in Colossians 3, 17, thanksgiving is an overflowing expression of gratitude. And if you look at verses 15 through 17, because there's kind of a repetition there, when is it given? It's to be given always. Why do we give it? For everything. To whom do we offer our thanks? To God the Father. And how is it offered? It's offered in the name of Christ. So, verse 16, we give thanks from the heart. Right? This comes out of God's work in our lives and our union with Christ. Our gratitude comes from the heart. It's an overflow of hearts that have been changed. And this verse shows how this is expressed in the word dwelling richly in us and in our singing and those things that mark our fellowship together. 
They're based in hearts with new affections that come from the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. We give thanks through Christ, verse 17. It's through Christ and his work that we stand before God. Christ intercedes on our behalf. And it's through him that we can come to the Father. It's through his work that our thanksgiving is expressed before God. And we've been transferred, right, from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom. We give thanks by the Spirit. Now, this is pulling in Ephesians. Ephesians has more of an emphasis on the Spirit. The, the Spirit is the one who works in our hearts. Right? So, Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. So, there's this recognition of the role of the Spirit bringing forth a new heart in our lives. The fruitfulness in our lives comes from the work of the Spirit. And we give thanks to the Father in verse 17. We recognize that God the Father is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. And we praise God because he is the source of all good things. And so thankfulness is worship. We give thanks from the heart, through Christ, by the Spirit, to the Father. And refusing to thank God is a form of idolatry. And we may be doing one of a few different things. We, we may be refusing to be contented if we refuse to give thanks. Where we have certain expectations for our lives and maybe our perception doesn't match those expectations. We look at the situation and we believe we deserve better. Or we may be seeking our good somewhere else. Right? Where we can find hope, life, and joy in what amounts to an idol in our lives. When we do that, we exchange the worship of God for the worship of created things. And so thanksgiving is worship, and we give thanks to God the Father. And our thankfulness to God, um, we, we don't do this because saying thank you is good manners. We express gratitude because he is our only hope in life and death. Now, there's also this connection, if you just read through the chapter, because there's kind of this interweaving of the ideas of thankfulness and humility and peace. And this call to gratitude, you could say, is almost paired with humility. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is there in the Ephesians passage. Right? Uh, gratitude itself requires a certain level of humility before God and humility before others. And we are thankful because we recognize our need and our dependence upon God and similarly, it, you know, there's this, this pairing with submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We prefer one another. We honor one another. We defer to one another. And this is done out of reverence for Christ. So gratitude and humility go together. And our gratitude is tied to both humility and peace. Right? Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. So as we learn humility and show gratitude to God, we also learn to defer to one another. And let's recognize some things about humility and gratitude. They help us fight greed and pride. So there is a, a counterbalance between humility and pride. Right? 
they yield contentment in our lives. Uh, and they bring forth peace in our fellowship together. And so thankfulness is not just an addendum to Paul's thought at the end of each of these phrases. Isn't that easy to, to read through a passage like this? You see a repeated word and you just read right over it. In verses 15, 16, and 17, our thankfulness is explicitly tied to our own humility before God and our care and concern for one another. The peace of Christ ruling our hearts dovetails with our thankfulness. And so let's recognize some connections here. A posture of peace is tied to humility and contentment. Right? And our contentment is tied to our gratitude and thankfulness. So look at verse 15, where we give thanks as the peace of Christ rules our hearts and our fellowship together. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Do you live under the peace of Christ? Are you a person of peace? As the word of Christ dwells richly in you, have you grown in humility? Have you grown in gratitude before God? Are you willing to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? So we willingly care for one another as a part of Christ's body. And we are his people adopted into a new family. And we have this new identity as a part of his kingdom. And so we submit to one another. And we're to live together in a peaceable and understanding way. Yet, it's easy to become discontented, isn't it? And that's been a pattern I'm sure you've seen in people's lives. As they maybe start off strong uh, in a new setting and it's not long before they become discontented. How many of you see the glass half empty? Your proclivity is, your normal posture is to see the challenges, the defeats, the struggles, the difficulties, the sin in life, the faults. You're frustrated by situations. Take time to reflect on what God has done in your life and be thankful. Don't breed discontentment. So exhibiting a sincere thankfulness from the heart toward God is a fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's just as humility and peace are fruits of the Spirit's work. So even in the midst of a bitter providence in our lives from the Lord, there are reasons to be thankful. And there are many in our fellowship recently who can attest to this and have attested to this this morning of God's sustaining faithfulness in their lives. And when we see where we are before Christ and then reflect upon God, let's respond with thankfulness for what he has done in all of life, in word and in deed, in whatever we think or do, in what we believe and in what we apply. All of it's given over to God the Father through Christ. And so, in light of what God has done in us, this is sort of the pattern of the chapter here, in light of what God has done in us, remember this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And so honor God with what you hold to be true, your words. Right? And what we do and give thanks. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, the testimony of Paul's letter to the Colossians of how you have worked in that church at that time and how you've used this letter in the lives of your church today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond in thankfulness, to see our lives in the context of our union with Christ and in light of that, in whatever we do or say, that we would do it in the name of Christ and give thanks to God the Father through him. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.